Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, moments before Rosh Hashanah, I, I got this. It was it was flying around the internet, so it just it brought a smile to my face. So I'm just going to read it to you guys. It says, Welcome to Flight 5782. We are prepared to take off into the new year. Please make sure your attitude and blessings are secured and locked in an upright position. All self-destructive devices should be turned off at this time. All negativity, hurt, and discouragement should be put away. Should we lose altitude under pressure during the flight, reach up and pull down a prayer. (laughs) Once your faith is activated, you can assist other passengers. There will be no baggage allowed on this flight. God has cleared us for takeoff, destination, greatness. So I don't know if you got that one, but I don't don't know who wrote it, but they should be blessed for a great new year. Um, So, but I I thought that was, I thought that was fun and kind of gets us, gets us into the mood for, for good things. So there's an example that happened to me that I, I always think about, especially this time of year around Yom Kippur. I had a, a white car and which was the only time in my life that I've ever had a white car. And uh, I, I was driving and I was late for an appointment. And I just didn't want to be late for this appointment. And I was stuck at a red light and uh, I was so frustrated. And there was an alley. If I made a right turn, I could go down this alley. Now, these alleys are notoriously horribly paved. Big potholes. And it had rained recently. And so the potholes were filled with mud and dirty rainwater. And I I wasn't really aware of that. So I hit the gas and I kind of roared down this alley. And I've never driven a car in downtown Kabul, Afghanistan, but I would imagine that these are the type of roads that you would encounter there. And I hit these potholes and my entire white car got completely coated with mud such that the car, I I looked like a madman driving this car because no one in the world would drive a car this dirty. It looked, especially in Los Angeles, I mean, it looked horrible. Anyway, I got to the meeting and 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 it was so terrible that I did something I think I've only I think this is the only time I've ever done it done in my life. I washed my own car. That's <laughs> that's how terrible it was. So I turn on the hose and just you get imagine the the car is like white car caked in mud and in seconds in seconds the car was white again. <laughs> It just, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. Because this dirt was in outer coating. And it just washed right off. And so, so I want you to think of that. When you try to assess what is our relationship with wrongdoing and what impact does it make on us and how does this explain all the mechanics of Yom Kippur? And basically, 
Our soul is pure. Because what is our soul? Our soul is a piece of God. That God, God puts a piece of himself inside of us. That's our soul. That's the white car. Everything that we put on top of that is what's called chitzonios. It's just outside stuff. And because it's not the essence of who we are, it washes off. So, so, so there is this idea that the body initially was that we were creatures of light initially and that we brought ourselves down into this place where our physicality ran contrary to our spirituality, where our physicality, instead of being a, um, an expression of our spirituality, became a covering over of our spirituality. You see, remember, the, the final vision of humanity that the Torah has is in the era of what we call the resurrection of the dead. We're going to be resurrected. And what's going to happen is, is that the body and the soul are going to be like best friends again. And that the body is going to be an expression of our soul. It will be physical, but it's going to be an expression of our soul. Right now, the body begins with something that covers our soul. So to that extent, some of the more Kabbalistic sources, like the Targum Yonasan, says that the body, so to speak, is like snakeskin. That's where that idea comes from. But we never lose the idea that our foundational element is the light of God, the white car, if you will. Okay? So, so that's kind of how Yom Kippur works, and that's kind of like the future vision, and that's kind of where we are now. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot contained there. There was a whole kind of beginning, middle, and end of the status of the body and the soul, okay? Hebrew is unique among all the languages of the world because it's what we call Lashon HaKodesh, which means the holy tongue. And our holy tradition is that God actually created the world out of the Hebrew letters. So, so what does that mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God took a Dalit and like made Detroit out of it, right? It's basically on a, on a very deep level, this teaching, remember that the sages were tapped into the most exalted truths of the universe. They didn't have the vocabulary that we have today. It's a point that Rabbi Abraham Sutton made, and I, I thought that's a really important thing because sometimes um, in the, the arrogance of modernity and our technological age, we can look back on what the ancients knew and be condescending and think that somehow they were primitive. They were tapping into absolutely the deepest ideas. The Jewish sages were like in touch with the, the, the roots uh, and the fundamentals of of time and space and all of reality, but they, they didn't have the vocabulary of quantum physics. So what does it mean that God took the letters and created the universe? If you think of each of the letters as an energy wavelength, and then God combined all these different wavelengths to create the material universe, 
If you look in Hebrew, the word for davar, davar means a word, but davar also means a thing. So isn't that interesting that in Hebrew, a word and a thing is the exact same letters because it started with the word and then it became a thing. It started with these words of God and then it became the world that we inhabit. That's just one tiny example. There are like thousands of examples of just how amazing if you like really look into the letters, into the words, that just like reality sort of becomes unpacked before your eyes. So with that as an introduction, since we're starting the new year, and since we're in these 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's an amazing insight that the Hebrew word for the word year offers us and tells us very much about the time that we're in and gives us a lot of lessons about what we should do right now, just based on three Hebrew letters, okay? So what is the Hebrew word for year? And again, the idea is that Hebrew is the language of creation itself. And I don't think I ever heard it said more beautifully than Reb Shlomo said it. He said, when you hear the wind rustling through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I think that's great. So, so let's look again at the word for year in Hebrew. It's Shana. Okay, so like we're all wishing each other Shana Tova, right? Which means have a good year. So Shana is interesting because it's the letters Shin, Nun, and He. And as I always like to say, the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite, right? Again, that's that Einsteinian idea of like infinite light being compressed down into the finite realm. The Torah exists in book form, but the Torah is more than a book. The whole world was created out of the Torah. The Torah is the fabric of reality itself. So one of the levels that it's functioning on is the mathematical level. So Shin Nun He adds up to 355. So that's problematic. <laughs> it's problematic because we all know that a year, a solar year, has 365 days, not 355 days. So we just went on and on and on and on about how Hebrew is the blueprint of creation and how, you know, you, you can see exactly what's going on in terms of reality by just looking at the Hebrew word itself. Well, we've just hit a brick wall, haven't we? Because the word for year should be the gematria 365, right? But it's not. It's 355. And yet, we know that the word itself is accurate. So now, what clue, what amazing secret is God giving us about the world? Isn't it interesting that the period, starting with Rosh Hashanah and going to Yom Kippur, is exactly 10 days? So these are the 10 missing days. Okay. So now Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver gives us 
a clue to understanding one level of what we've been discussing. And he says something very interesting about the nature of time, right? So we would think that eternity, right, which is the infinite expanse of time, we would think that eternity would be um, a time construct that would go on and on and on and on and on and on and on forever, right? So in Hebrew, we say the word netzach. That, that, that's how we say eternity in Hebrew, okay? But listen to what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says. He gives us a totally, like, brand new idea here, which is awesome. He says, no, 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 no. Eternity in Torah is a dimension above time. Ah, it's outside time. It's beyond time. Oh, okay, okay. So now, let's factor that back into our question. Where did these 10 days go between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? And the answer is, do you know why they're not counted within the gematria of the word year, which is only 355? Do you know why it doesn't include these 10 days? Because these 10 days are beyond time. They're beyond time and they're beyond space. Okay, so that's answer number one. That's level number one, but we're going we're gonna to go deeper still. You see, these days are not normal days. They feel like normal days. They do, you know? But, but the rabbis and the Gomorrah itself are incredibly clear on this one point. There's no like, well, there's another opinion, there's another opinion. No, no, no. Very clear on this point, which is these days, God is the closest to us the entire year. Which is, which is awesome. So somehow these days are just beyond time and space. And you know, the Torah gives us a hint to this. This is a hint that I found. I got very excited when I saw this. You know, on Shabbos and Mincha, we, we started Parsha's Hazinu. Hazinu is like this climactic Torah portion. It's one of the shortest. It may be the shortest Torah portion in the entire Torah. Also, maybe the single most difficult understand, to understand Torah portion in the entire Torah. Because all of a sudden it goes from narrative to just the most intense poetry where every single line, it just has zillions of interpretations, every single line. Like basically what Moshe is doing is he's reaching the end of his life, the end of his prophecy, and he's just compacting like the whole history of everything in these verses, in, the, in this poem, right? Now, one of the things that I'm always fascinated about is small letters and large letters in the Torah because they're very unusual, but every letter in the Aleph base has a small letter and a large letter somewhere in, in Tanakh. And there's always like a very fascinating teaching associated with it, and why is it happening, when it's happening, and what word is it contained in, and, and all the rest. So what's so interesting about Hazina, right, where like the Torah just in terms of you know, prophetic revelation reaches this ecstatic climax, has 
one large letter and one small letter. Many, many Parshas don't have a large letter or a small letter, okay? So it's unusual when you find them. So Parshas Hazinu has one large letter and one small letter. And not just any letters. These are very, very significant letters that actually work very closely with each other, even though they're in different places in the Parsha. Okay. So the large letter is the letter Hey. And what's so interesting about this large letter Hey is that it is, listen carefully, it is the only one letter word in the entire Torah. Okay, so you know, like, like far out things are happening right now. There's only one, one letter word in the entire Torah, and it's this large letter hey. Okay, now what's the small letter? The small letter is a small yud. Okay, well, what does the Gemara say in Menachos? Didn't we just say that God created the whole world out of the letters? Well, in the Gemara, they take that same teaching and they make it hyper-specific. They say, God created the world, you ready for this? With two letters. Do you want to guess which letters those are? The letters Yud and the letter Hey. Isn't that amazing? So, okay, so then why is the Yud small and why is the Hey big? And what does that have to do with the fact that these 10 days which are beyond time and space, when God is closest to us, how does all of that connect? So, think of a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> Could we get a more mundane visual than this? Okay, think of a tube of toothpaste. Now, I, I know everyone's got like a different style, right, in terms of how they work the tube of toothpaste, but... Imagine you're one of those people that roll it up from the bottom, okay? That always <laughs> struck me as like very methodical. I was never that methodical, but, but it, works, it works very good. That, that, that visual works very good for this example. So, so you kind of roll up the toothpaste from the bottom as it empties out. And then at the very end, it's just this kind of this small entity and all the toothpaste is out. Okay, that's the letter Yud. The Gomorrah tells us that God created Olam Haba, the perfected world, with the letter Yud. Okay, remember, there's, you know, in, in sort of casual conversation, um, two, two ideas about Olam Haba get used interchangeably. And that's okay for like normal conversation, you know, no, no worries. But if we want to be just a little bit more um, accurate, in terms of what the Torah is teaching us, we have to make a distinction. Olam Abba means the next world. It means the perfected world. It's often used to, like, oh, after a soul leaves this world, it goes to Olam Abba. So, technically speaking, that's not correct. Okay? We all get the idea, and it's, it's fine to use in conversation, but it, it's not really correct. That would be called Gan Eden, or the Olam Hanashamas, which means the world of souls. Olam Abba is the perfected world, which, which comes, which this world is evolving into. Okay, this world is evolving into. 
That's Olam Abba. Okay, that's significant because it's perfect. And it says God created Olam Abba with the letter Yud. All right. And now all the Rebbes and the Gomorrah itself here says that God created this world, the dimension that we're in right now, with the letter Hey. So the letter Yud is very small. Okay, we'll get back to the tube of toothpaste in a moment. And the letter Hey is really big. So what I would like to suggest is the following, that all of that perfection, all of that exalted light from that letter Yud, from the future perfect world, is being squeezed into this world, which is making the hay, which this world is made out of, larger and larger and larger. Of course the hay is going to be giant, because God's right here right now. He's always here, but there are endless levels. So all of the gates are open. All of the gates are open. All right, so now let's go deeper. Let's go into what I think is an even more drilled down, accurate explanation that I'd like to offer of where those 10 days went. Again, Shana is the Hebrew word for the word year. And we know that that's an accurate representation of what a year is, but we have a problem. It adds up to 355. We know that the year is 365 days. Where did those 10 days go? So our first answer is that they're beyond, these days are beyond time and space. Okay, that, that works. And we know that that's the case because God is so close here. And we see an explanation of that in the Torah itself with the large hay, which stands for this world, and the small yud, which is like emptying out all of its light into this realm. Very good. But now let's, let's go, I think, deeper. So, you know, I always think of these days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as the days of wet cement. And what do I mean by that? So all of us have seen, like you walk down the street and on the sidewalk, you see people have carved their names into the street. So how do they do that? Cement is really hard. Like, how do you, how do you write your name in cement, for goodness sake? Well, cement is really hard. That's why we use it. But when it's wet, it's really easy to write your name in. Right? To inscribe your name in the Book of Life, Book of Merits, Book of Livelihood. Right? It's really easy when the cement is wet. You just take a stick and you write whatever you like. And that's where time and space is right now. You see, the world is still being formed right now. It says everything is written on Rosh Hashanah and it's sealed on Yom Kippur. The world right now is just this wet cement. It hasn't finished being formed yet. The new year, it's not formed yet. When we leave Yom Kippur, you'll have a world. You'll have this year. You'll have this year that's coming. After Yom Kippur, right now everything is being formed. 
And that's what I'd like to say why the word year, shana, adds up to 355. Because during these 10 days, the year has not been formed yet. And therefore, it's not included into the count. Okay? So on some level, it's absolutely 365 Right? That's, if you just want to go according to the sun, 365, it's really accurate. But you know, the Torah is telling us something different. The Torah is saying that, you know what, you participate in the year that's about to come onto the world. And your participation is taking place during these 10 days. Absolutely. I know it's all year round, but you know, right now we're super on the job. Let's just say like, we're on the job right now. This is like really when it's happening. It's, this is when it's getting launched, you know? You know, you can have like, you can have recalls. Like, I don't know if you ever got in the mail. You know, we've got a safety belt issue with your model car. Like, bring it back in. You can do recalls throughout the year. But when you do the product launch itself, when you put it on the shelves, right, in the supermarket, when you roll out the new model, that's when you want to get it right. So, so in terms of the year that we put out, it's 355 days because we're taking these 10 days to really create it. Okay. So now, that's all like very cosmic and esoteric and all the rest, but Let's, let's make it real for you and me. Let's make it personal, what this idea actually means in, in the here and now. What am I... You see, it's very easy to learn things like what I just told you. And it's almost like, okay, so I'm kind of reading about the divine mechanics of the world. And there's, there's a, a formula, there's a recipe... Um, I'm reading the recipe. So, so you're sort of like a little bit removed from the process. You're kind of like an observer. You're reading the recipe. But that's not really what's going on. <laughs> you're not just reading the recipe. You are an ingredient in what's about to be served. <laughs> right? You're not standing putting things in the pot. You are in the pot. <laughs> you are part of what's about to be served. Do you understand? So when we say you are an ingredient, what do I mean by that? You're not just bringing yourself into the new world. And that's going to be part of this pristine year that's about to come into being. But you are also bringing all of your relationships as they exist right now into this new construct called the new year, called the new world. Okay? Which means that if you have all of these broken relationships, you're about to reincorporate this dissonance into the new year. So there's a teaching, and I, I learned it, you know, when I got older. And I 
really did not like learning this teaching. <laughs> and the reason why I didn't, the one I'm about to tell you, the reason why I did not like learning it is because it's sort of like everything was so easy when I thought, oh, you know what happens on Yom Kippur? God takes everything we did wrong and he forgives it all. And it's, that's, and that's Yom Kippur. And what a great day. Well, that's only partly true. God forgives all of the things that we did wrong between us and God. But the stuff that we did wrong with each other, that slate does not get wiped clean. That is up to us to get forgiveness or to forgive the other people. Like just, and if you think about it, like I say, it makes it makes life like a little less easy, right? But I mean, it's the truth. Because the alternative is to say this, which can't be true, what I'm about to say. But the alternative is to say this. Well, I hurt your feelings and I really did you wrong, but guess what? I just had Yom Kippur, so see you around, sucker. Like, could 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 that be Torah? Could that be Hashem? Could that be truth? It's impossible, right? And in fact, it is impossible. So, so, so just take a step back. Take a step back right now and think about it. This new world, which is still being formed right now, is about to finish up like the cement dries. And by the way, there are openings, special prayer openings throughout the year. But nothing like this, right? Like like special moments, right? The eighth day of Hanukkah is like awesome. Purim, absolutely awesome. Shavuos, awesome. Pesach, awesome. But all of these things are like, you just want to get it right at the outset. You, you want to get the product launch right. That's when you want to do it, okay? You can still take like a... Um, like a chisel, and carve your name in cement. But it's harder. It's a lot harder. So now's the time. So, so let's think about our relationships and understand that all of them are about to be re-upped and reinstalled in the new year. But we can do something about that. We can change that. And I think that on the most practical level, I think everyone should just take a moment. Let's just take one moment and we'll just pause for a few seconds and just answer this question just privately alone in your head, okay? Think of one person if you want to close your eyes, if you're not driving, <laughs> I, 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 I once heard someone on a radio show say something that just like, I just was beside myself. I was like, what is going on? The person said, yeah, you know, I had such a spiritual moment. I was driving in my car and the car in front of me, there was a bumper sticker and said, let go 
let God. And I just let go of the steering wheel. I was like, no, no, don't do that. Okay, so, so you know, it just, anyway, you guys get the idea. But take a moment, take a moment. You can close your eyes. I'm going to close my eyes right now. And think of just one person who you're in a fight with right now. Or one person who you feel like you owe an apology to that you just haven't given one to yet for whatever reason. All right? One person who you're in a fight with. Or one person who hurts your feelings and you're still kind of living with that pain. Okay? So, so maybe start there. Maybe start there. Maybe start there. If it's a person who, who you're in an argument with, Take a step in the right direction. If I'm not saying the answer is to solve the entire relationship issue, because a lot of times, I'm sure many of the people, many of you thought of, are very complicated relationships that this problem has been going on over a period of years with. And it's highly, highly complicated. I get it. I really do. I promise you that I do. We're not called upon to solve everything at once. But we can take one positive step in the right direction. You know, you can write a text. You can make a phone call. Hey, I just, you know, a text is easiest because you don't have to interact with the person, you know. You write a text, hey, I just want you to know I was thinking about you, just wishing you the best year. You can do that. You can do that. You can do that. If if you're if you're if you're a little bit closer with the person or if you, you feel as though you're on a bit more solid ground with the person, it can be it can be a phone call. Um if it's someone who hurts you. Maybe it's it's a conversation that goes a little bit like this, like, hey, I was just thinking about you. I just want to give you a call and say hi. You know, and the person says hi, and and you don't hit them with them right away, and you don't put them on the defensive, because if you put them on the defensive, it's 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 just it's not even worth making the call. But you can actually ask this question. Hey, you know, I, you know, it's crazy that I was even thinking about this. I, I don't even know if you remember, but do you remember that time where we were at that place and, and you said this or you did that? You know, I was just kind of thinking about that. And, and I was wondering, what, what was going through your mind? 
and then just let them talk. Let them talk. You're just handing it to them. Not, you remember that time and why did you do that? Because I have never gotten over that. N- not that, not that, not that. I'm, I'm giving you the opposite of that, okay? You know, and you don't just start the conversation that way. You know, you kind of ease into it a little bit. Hey, I was thinking about that thing. Just, you know, I was just kind of curious. What were you thinking about when, when that happened? What, what was, and you know what? They may blow your mind and give you an explanation and you'll, wow, I, you know what? I'm seeing the whole thing a different way right now. Or you may give them an opportunity to apologize that they, you never would have gotten it out of them unless you had created a safe space for them to talk. Okay. Now, there's another category. There's another category. Because remember, what's the heart of Yom Kippur? And and I'll tell you a story just because I've been thinking a lot about this story lately. Uh, kind of one of the highlights of my life, really, I would say, was I I, I helped create this, this sort of like a guerrilla uh movie studio that ran for a few weeks. We, we, we got this like empty warehouse in Hollywood and, you know, this group of people from around the world, they flew in and we worked around the clock making these Jewish viral videos. This was before YouTube, by the way. We sort of helped create the whole genre of Jewish viral videos, which is kind of cool. Um, it was called Jewish Impact Films. And Space was limited. It was kind of hard to get in. A lot of people applied. And we had about, I don't know, about 14 people or so. And it was just mayhem. It was, it was, it's hard to explain just what an experience it was. Everyone who took place in it, who took part of it, their lives changed. Everyone's life, life changed in a, in a real way, you know? Um, anyway, I got this phone call. We were a few days away from starting the program. And someone was calling me. I, I don't even think I knew the person. They said, hey, um, there's someone special. Could you take this special person in your program? They said uh, she was just um, in a terrorist bombing in Israel. And I was like, of course, absolutely. And, and here's the thing. Whatever she wants to do, she can do. Whatever she doesn't want to do, she doesn't have to do. Just that, that'll be the thing, okay? So, you know, we started the program and she kept to herself mostly. Um, Her face was filled with heavy skin grafts. Um, One time there was like kind of a a, a lull and I saw she was typing at her, her computer, her Mac. And I just kind of stopped by to say hi. And I remember looking down at her fingers typing and seeing, wow, you know, there were several, several of her fingers were missing. And, and she explained to me what happened. She said that she had been working as a waitress and she put a cup of coffee in front of someone and then he pulled his suicide vest and the explosion happened right in front of her. And I asked her, 
what she was working on, what film. And she said that she was working on a film about forgiveness. That was on the subject of Yom Kippur. And by the way, it was, we were months away from Yom Kippur at this point. That blew me away. The last night, uh, we had, we, we all went to the beach, made this bonfire, and we were going around a circle talking about the most memorable moment of the program, you know? And she was standing maybe 10 yards away by herself. And after everyone had a turn, they saw her and they turned to her and they, they asked her to speak and she said no. And then they started chanting her name over and over again and they wouldn't stop, you know, wanting her to speak. And I remember feeling very uncomfortable because the rule was that whatever she wanted to do, she could do, and whatever she didn't want to do, she didn't have to do, and that it would be like very much a pressure-free kind of environment. And anyway, I saw the expression on her face change when they started chanting her name, and she started walking toward the fire, right? And she stood there, and this is what she said. She said, the last night of the program, we were working around the clock. I was on a crew, we were shooting a film. And it was like three, four o'clock in the morning. And I, I sat in the back seat of our car and I went to sleep. And she said, every night I have the same dream, which is that I'm running away. And this night, I also dreamt that I was running away, but all of you were there running away with me. And I just remember thinking, wow, for me, the entire program was worth that one moment. The whole thing was just worth that one moment. So forgiveness, forgiveness is, is rough, you know, but I think at a certain point, I feel like that apology that we're waiting for, if it hasn't come yet, there's an excellent chance it's never going to come. And I think we hold on to our anger at whoever it is. Maybe it's the world. It doesn't have to be a particular person. Maybe it's God. We hold on to that anger thinking that we're getting that other person back. And I saw it described one time. I thought this was like really super clear. It's like trying to kill someone by drinking poison. <laughs> you drink the poison and somehow you think that you're killing the other person. Probably 
I don't know, it's hard to say the greatest single lesson that I learned from Reb Shlomo. I learned so many, but the one, if I had to just pick one, it's that the the necessity, not just the importance, not, not the importance, the necessity of cleansing of cleansing our heart of anger. And and toward that end, I would make the distinction between anger and hurt. Right? Like when you think about these painful situations, try to divide it into two categories, if you can. Anger and hurt. The hurt may stay for who knows how long. May never go away. Hopefully in time it will go away and it will heal. Hopefully it will. But the anger you can get rid of. The anger you can forgive, you can put aside. That you actually have jurisdiction over. You do. You do. You might think you don't, but you do. The hurt is something else. But the anger you can cleanse your heart of. And it's so important because we can't hold our lives hostage and our emotional development and our, and our inner peace. We can't put it in the hands of other people. We, we just can't do it. And, and, and if you're doing it, and you're thinking, you see, I'm just trying to bring some clear thinking to some very painful, very emotionally complex issues. And like it or not, the more emotionally complex something gets, the less clear we think about it. Okay? So, so we need clarity in these things. And on a spiritual level, there is a direct correlation between forgiveness and being forgiven. Okay? If you want forgiveness for yourself to the extent that you can forgive others, you will bring more light and more forgiveness and more happiness onto yourself. All right. So now, in terms of in terms of Yom Kippur, I want to I want to deepen this idea, but I also want to transition into a new thought. Okay. And it's really all about the power of love. And you'll see you'll see what I'm talking about in a moment, because Yom Kippur really is about love in many, many ways. And, and I'll, I'll show you how it works. You see, one of the greatest gematrias, because it just, it just contains worlds, worlds of truth, this, this simple gematria, is that the word for love in Hebrew, ava, is the number 13. And the word for one, as in oneness, as in the oneness of God, as in all that exists is God. The word echad, one, is also the number 13. Now, you know, this is like, you know, I always like to quote Steve Jobs, who says, simple is hard, okay? This is, 
This is a beautiful example of it because this is so simple, but we are drilling down to the absolute foundations of truth in the universe right now. Oneness and love. Where there's love between people, there's oneness. Where there's love between us and God, there's oneness. Now, let me give you an example of how this works and how this ties into Yom Kippur in cleansing our souls, okay? The, the, the question is asked by Rosh Hashanah, right? It applies very much to Yom Kippur too, but it's the specific example applies to the shofar. You know, we, we listen to a lot of shofar blasts on Rosh Hashanah, a hundred to be exact. You know, if you're going to do the full-on official kind of service, it's a hundred blasts. So, technically speaking, you have to hear far fewer than that hundred. So, the question is, why do we blow so many blasts? <laughs> and the Talmud answers, because we want to show Hashem how much we love the mitzvah. Okay, so, you know, if you're in kindergarten, you, we could stop right there, but we've got to go a little bit deeper what that means, okay? We want to show Hashem, and not only that, but then they throw in this like crazy wild card. We say, also, it confuses the Sutton, <laughs> right? The heavenly accuser gets rattled and confused by all the chauffeur blasts. So what does it mean that the Sutton gets confused or thrown off by this expression of love. Okay, so now I want to tell you a Torah from Reb Tzadok Hakon, right? One of the greatest, greatest Torah minds in, in Jewish history. And he says the following. Well, let's take one more second to, to set it up a little bit. So Rav Frimer in the, in the Eretz Vi says the following. You see, if you do something kind of like just the way the Torah commands you to do it, right? Like you're kind of like, says do this, okay, I'm doing this. So that's all good, but you're kind of doing it with your outside. You're not doing it with your inside. And when you do mitzvahs and when you do Torah from the level of the outside, right? It doesn't include, like, your whole self. It doesn't include your heart. You're doing it, and that's fantastic. You're doing it. But you only reach, in terms of the trajectory, right? Like, remember, the, 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 the Kutzka Rebbe says that prayer is like shooting an arrow upwards toward the sky. So how does it work? That if you, the, the further down that you pull the 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 bow, right, the string part, the higher the arrow goes. So it's just like with prayer. The further down that you reach into your inner self, the higher the prayer goes. You understand? It's like a bow and arrow. So if you're kind of just doing the mitzvah, but you're not putting your the entirety of yourself into it, so Rav Frimer explains that it goes to the top of this world. 
right? Like the dividing line between heaven and earth, if you will. It goes all the way up to the top of this world. But it still remains within the natural order of things. But if you do a mitzvah, lishma, for the sake of heaven, right? Which means you're putting your entire heart in it. And now let's go back to our key word. You're doing it with love. You transcend this world. Okay? That act, that light, transcends the natural order and it goes into the supernatural beyond order. Okay. What happens then, and now let's go back to this idea of echad and ahava, love and oneness, right? That when you do something with love, when you love God, when you turn your life into a love affair between you and God, what happens is you, you merge and become one with God and nothing is more tahor, nothing is more pure than God. So when you become one with God, all there is is purity and all of the chitzonios, all the outside forces, all of the klipot, all of the averas, all of the sins, all of the wrongdoings fall away because you've merged with the oneness of God and all there is is purity. There is no room for imperfection. There is no space for darkness. All there is is the light of God when you merge with God. And how do you become one with God? Through love, which transcends the entire natural order. That's Yom Kippur. That's the ultimate tshuva. That's the ultimate return. Because then everything disappears because there's no room for it. Because at that point, you're one with God. That's Reb Tzadok HaKoyim. And then what happens? All of your past sins... Sin is, by the way, not a Jewish word. It's not a Hebrew word, sin. But we just kind of use it because it's, it's just for practical purposes. But it's, it's we, hate, hate is, 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 is the word for wrongdoing, okay? And hate means to miss. Like Rabbi Aaron said that he was once by a soccer field in Israel and someone kicked the ball toward the goal and he missed, and everyone started yelling, hate, hate. And he was wondering, who, who sinned? Who sinned? No one sinned. It's just, you missed the mark. Do you understand how the Torah conception of wrongdoing is, is so much deeper, right? You just miss the mark. Usually what it means to do a chen is that you either did too much of something or too little of something. And an interesting way of like analyzing wrongdoing, you either did too much or you didn't do enough. That's what it is. And I'll tell you something unbelievable about the word hate. You ready? You could easily spell, we talked about how Hebrew is Lashon HaKodesh and how it's the, the, the blueprint of the world, right? 
you could easily spell the word chet, ches, tet. That's, that's how we spell it. Ches, tet, and chet, spell it. Everyone would see those two letters and read the word chet. That's not how we spell it. There's an aleph at the end of it. So, now, anyone who knows anything about the Hebrew letters know that aleph is the, it's the first letter of the aleph base. It's the number one. Aleph stands, so to speak, for God. Right? If you break down the, the letter Aleph, it's actually three letters. It's, it's two Yuds and a Vav, which add up to 26, which is the Gematria Yudke Vavke. The holiest name of God is contained within the letter Aleph, which is one. So what if you don't need the letter Aleph to spell the word hate and Aleph stands for God? What is God doing in the word hate? Because we don't need the letter Aleph there. So now I'll tell you something, one of the deepest things I know, and again, it's from none other than Reb Tzadok Koin, right? He said, do you know what happened when we got bit by the snake in the Garden of Eden? Do you know what snake poison is? Like, Kabbalistically speaking, philosophically speaking, what is snake poison? What does it mean that we were bitten by the snake? You ready for this? After that incident, we began to think that there was such a thing as a place where God isn't. I'll say that again. This is awesome beyond awesome. What is snake poison? It's thinking that there's such a thing as a place where God isn't. We think we do something wrong and then we send God into exile. But God fills the entire world. God doesn't go anywhere. Do you know what happens? We put ourselves into exile. We exile ourselves from ourselves. Do you know what that means? We separate our heart and our mind. That's what that means. God doesn't go anywhere. So the word chet is spelled ches tet aleph because even when we do something wrong, God's, God, didn't, God didn't go anywhere. <laughs> we didn't exile God. God's right there. He's waiting. He's waiting for us. God didn't leave us. We think, okay, now God's abandoned me, right? Can I tell you something? If God abandoned you, you can't be alive. If you're still alive, that is proof that God has not abandoned you. You say, but I did something so wrong. Once again, if you are alive, <laughs> that is proof that God has not abandoned you because you're only alive because you've got a piece of God inside you. That's your soul. So God's right there with you. Okay, so so the idea is let's let's not reincorporate our existing relationships which are broken 
into the new world. Let's take at least one positive step. And you know something in terms of asking for forgiveness? That's rough too. That's another rough one. You know you hurt someone? And, you know, have you ever experienced this? I know I have. You borrow something from someone else and you don't return it. Not on purpose. You just don't return it. And then after a period of time, let's say two years, three years, you begin to think that it's yours. <laughs> has, has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. You think, well, you know, it's been in my house so long. It's, it, it, it's mine, right? No, well, no, I borrowed it. But I haven't given it back in so long. I'm kind of keeping it. So I guess if I'm kind of keeping it, it is mine. Right? It gets a bit confusing. You know, if you've hurt someone and so many years pass or so much time passed and you haven't forgiven, you sort of kind of decide that you are forgiven because you've forgiven you, <laughs> perhaps. Kind of weirdly the same dynamic at play. I told you the story. I'm not going to go through it again. It was such an ordeal to tell you the last time. I went up to this person on the street, you know, kind of like a homeless type of guy. And I tried to give him charity and he started yelling at me, get away from me. And I realized he was mad at me because we had had this argument like, I don't know how long ago. Anyway, I hardly ever see him around. I saw him on the street again and I don't know how I got the strength, but I went up to him to apologize. And I just was terrified. He's just going to start screaming at me. And thank God I was able to get his forgiveness, but it was, it took every ounce of strength to approach that guy. And, and, and I was just reacquainted with how hard it is to apologize. And the whole time that I was convincing myself to that I had to do it, I needed to do it, and I just have to go up to him. I was like, okay, if he starts yelling at you, who are you anyway? You're nothing. You're nothing. So if he's yelling at you, what is he yelling at? He's just yelling at nothing. So I'm just sharing that with you again, just to give you strength if there is an apology that you have to make and you're like, I, I can't make it because I can't bear to get yelled at. I can't bear to get yelled at. But just make yourself like nothing. If that argument is creating a blockage of light into the world, believe me, we want that light in the world more than we want just anything else. You know, if we can clear one more obstacle out of the way just to get more light into the world, it's worth it. Okay. I want to just wrap it up and... Uh, I just tell you, 
just one, one thing that I thought was very beautiful. We were reading it on Shabbos. That Moshe calls the entire Torah a song. And a few times, actually, the Torah is called a song. And we all know that each one of us are, are letters in the Torah. But when you see that the Torah is a song, if you're a letter in the Torah, you know what that also means? You're also a musical note. <laughs> and the whole world is going to be in harmony. Right? You know, I don't know if any of you are musicians, but imagine you're sitting behind a piano and you play a few keys and it sounds terrible. You don't throw out the piano, for goodness sakes. You just tune it. <laughs> you tune the piano and then, ah, it's fantastic, right? So a lot of us, you meet people and ourselves included, and it's just like we're just at a key. <laughs> we're just at a key. But we can get back into harmony with ourselves, with God, with the universe. We can be back in harmony. And I'll tell you something, you know, if you want to fine-tune someone, you want to get them back in key, can I tell you how to do it? You see the good in them. That is the best way to tune another person. Just start seeing the good in them and encourage them. And you're going to see they're going to behave different. They're going to act different. I know that changed my life. Reb Shlomo used to do that with everyone. He would look at you and he would see the person that you could be and he would behave towards you like that person who you could be, who you weren't yet. And when he did that with me, I was like, you know, he didn't tell you he was doing it, but he just did it. And I, and again, I didn't say these words to myself, but something inside me was like, I want to be that person. I want to be that person who he's talking to. And we can do that with each other, you know? And then all of a sudden, everyone's going to be in tune in the most amazing way. And we can do it for each other, we can do it with ourselves. And then, you know, it says in Tanakh, nine great songs have been sung. Nine epic songs. The Song of the Sea, like that's, that's one, of the, one of the ten. The tenth one hasn't been sung yet. But, but I have a theory, I'll tell you my theory. When we're all in tune, when we're all resonating, when we're all in harmony, we ourselves, we are going to be the tenth song. That's what it's going to be, you know? And, and I'll just share with you just, just something so sweet. We'll, we'll end on this. Something so sweet that I saw. Which is, don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big God is. Okay, I'm sending you lots of love and we should just all be inscribed, as my father would say, in all the good books, right? And this should just be the best, 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 best year. Okay. What follows now are some questions and answers. Uh, one of the biggest changes in my life was when I started, when I started going to Minion in the morning. And I'll just tell you just on a, just a brute psychological level, 
just life is just you just you just internalize all the pressures of life and and you just start to think so inwardly and everything like that and when you can like and you can think like when you have problems that the world is ending and you know it isn't but it is it the world is ending and and when you show up and you see the same group of people in the same room kind of going on about their thing you realize the world is not ending <laughs> Because if the world were ending, what are all these people doing acting like the world isn't ending? And so it's very, and this, this, this for, for the women out there as well, giant advertisement for going to shul on Shabbos, by the way. Okay? Just having that community in your life on an ongoing basis is so psychologically healthy and is so healing that I can't even tell you. Just the presence of other people around you, the same faces on a regular basis, you know? Even if you don't talk to anyone, just that type of routine is really highly recommended. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.